Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus the only daily premier league podcast this is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League update, which today isn't necessarily looking at the English top flight. It's looking at how those English top flight teams did in the final European competition of the week. West Ham proved themselves to be the biggest team in London. Fact. We saw Leicester City go top of their group after being bottom of it at the beginning of the match day. And Spurs, well, Spurs just went all Spursy. Even Conte can't squeeze that out of them. We're also going to be talking about the new man potentially in the dugout at Manchester United as they prepare to appoint an interim manager to replace the current interim manager Michael Carrick. Who that will be and what they will bring to the team we will discuss shortly as well as the deep philosophical question of when is a manager anything really other than an interim manager. We're also going to be talking about the transfer deals that are taking up the back pages of the papers at the moment as that January window creeps a little bit closer. To do all that we've got sports social journalist and Manchester United fan Joel Tudor. How are you doing Joel? Good morning. Even better knowing that we actually have someone in place. Well, potentially. It's not officially announced at the time of recording, <laughs> but it looks like it's going to be announced sometime soon. And Niall McCorn with him as well. How are you doing, Niall? Yeah, all good. Thanks, boys. So let's talk about that potential new face in the Manchester United dugout. Ralph Rannick is set to become the new Manchester United interim manager. So, Niall, what do we know about Rannick and what can we expect from him? Well, what we know about this guy, he's 63 years old, he's German, and he's a bit of an icon when it comes to German coaching. Now, if you think of icons of British coaching, you're thinking of the likes of, you know, Sir Matt Busby, Jock Steen, Sir Alex Ferguson, those sorts of characters. But obviously, they're from an era gone by. If you're thinking of more recent managers that have kind of been elder statesmen in the Premier League... You're thinking of someone like Roy Hodgson, but I don't think Roy Hodgson is revered in the same way that this guy, Ralph Rangnick, is revered in Germany. If you look at some of the coaches that have come out and said that they admire him, you're looking at the likes of Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, Julian Nagelsmann. Those are three very, very big names in the modern managerial scene. They're all coaches in the modern game that say they look up to this guy. Now, Ralph Rangnick's currently the sporting director at Lokomotiv Moscow in Russia, and he is known for being the godfather of the Gegen Press. Now, if you recognise mm. that term Gegen Press, that's because it's the style and philosophy that Jurgen Klopp uses at Liverpool, trying to put the because pressure on. Because you played on... football manager too much, that's what it means. <laughs> I've never played football manager in my life, actually, Jim, to be fair. You're missing out. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know if I am. Missing out on what? A girlfriend in a life. <laughs> <laughs> With Rangnick... He's, as I say, the, the father of the Gegen Press is what he's being talked up as in the media. And the Gegen Press is winning the ball high up the pitch, catching the opponent on the hop when they have the ball in their final third or their defensive third, we should say, and putting the pressure on in waves. Now, you can do loads of research into the Gegen Press and just pressing in general because it's a huge part of the modern game. 
by going on YouTube, by going on Google. There's plenty of information out there on how Klopp does it. But Klopp's system was kind of fostered from the methods and ideas of Ralph Rangnick. Now, I'm not saying that Manchester United are all of a sudden, when this guy comes in on an interim basis until the end of the season, going to start becoming this pressing team because they still have issues with certain players and certain personnel. And I think that's really important. The personnel to play a system is equally as important as the system you play. Now, we know Manchester United have great players in terms of quality, but do they have the right players to play a gag and press style system? That remains to be seen. Of course, we know Cristiano Ronaldo is a huge signing for Manchester United, a huge goal scorer, scored again midweek in the Champions League, his 140th goal, and Manchester United needed that breakthrough. In the end, they beat Villarreal 2-0, and they're through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. But I'm quite interested to see how Ralph Rangnick sorts this situation out with Ronaldo and this player who allegedly can't press from the front. And when you play Ronaldo, you usually play him in a lone striker role in a one-up front, particularly in more recent years. We've seen him play off the left as well at times for Manchester United. I think that's just a a natural instinct thing to drift out to that side because that's what he used to do when he was here before. So Rangnick's someone who's very fondly thought of in the game. Like I say, he's currently the sporting director at Lokomotiv Moscow. And what the plan is, is for Rangnick to come in for the next six months or so until the end of the season before they turn their attention, Manchester United, to a permanent appointment. Now, it looks as if that appointment could well be Maurizio Pochettino, as we've discussed on the podcast this week. He's still at PSG. At the moment, there are still a few issues and roadblocks to uh, to smooth out before that picks up any more momentum. The sweetener for Rangnick, who wasn't keen on the interim deal, was a consultancy role. So once his six months as interim is done, he won't just leave the club. He'll be moving upstairs to like not board level, but a behind the scenes role, a director role, so to speak, particularly when it comes to the sporting side of things at Manchester United. And that will be a two year long contract. So the idea is United bring in this pressing manager who's well thought of in the game, well respected, someone with a cast iron philosophy. He doesn't take any basically, this guy. So he'll come in for six months and the view is after his half a season is done, Pochettino, who is another pressing style manager, will come in and replace him. So actually, considering all of the flack we gave Manchester United for the situation and the way it was handled around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's departure, the instalment of Michael Carrick as caretaker or interim interim before someone else temporary comes in, you know, we gave them a lot of stick for that. And a lot of people have done in the in the press because it didn't make much sense. But now with this appointment with Rangnick coming in for half a season, then going upstairs in a consultancy role and possibly even Pochettino coming in doesn't look like the worst move at all from Manchester United. So be interesting to see how this one unfolds. But that's a little bit of background on the situation and on who Rangnick is. He is known as one of the brains of football. He is a hugely respected manager within the game, even if he's not necessarily one of the big name managers when it comes to fans. Joel, I think I heard him described as being to Klopp what Bielsa is to Pep Guardiola, which kind of gives you an idea of his status. Do you think Manchester United fans are happy with this? As with the plan that Niall has kind of outlined there, that he is only going to be in this job on a temporary basis. He is a genuine interim. It's not going to be a Solskjaer situation where he does really well and gets the full-time job. He's an interim manager. He will move up to some kind of senior position at some point, probably the director of football role, which Manchester United have needed for a long time. Well, they've they've got a director of football, Jim, at the moment. It will be a consultancy role. So very, very similar. So from that point of view, Joel, as a fan, are you happy with the roadmap that Manchester United have laid out here? Um, I'm quite baffled, to be honest, because it actually seems like the most logical thing to do and United are actually doing it. Um, <laughs> so on paper, it does seem like the most smart choice out of all of the options that were mentioned, you know, like Valverde or Garcia. They just didn't seem like the right fit for us. It seemed like a very strange transition you would have to do if you took Valverde or Garcia and then handed the baton over to Pochettino or Ten Hag, who all have very, very different philosophies. I feel like with this one, it feels very Gus Hiddinky, where you're getting a guy in who's been there, he's done that, he has crazy experience in the game. I mean, he was kind of like the brains behind the Salzburg and Leipzig uh, rise where they overhauled the recruitment process and got the likes of like Sadio Mane, Naby Keita, Emil Forsberg, Dio Upamecano. I mean, all these guys have gone on to become a great, great European players. And that's just 
and that's just testament to his implementation so i think for me i'm more interested in what happens after the actual uh interim basis purely because i think it's been the first time in a decade where the board has recognized that we don't have enough football people behind the scenes it seemed like for the last decade ed woodward was kind of running the show seemingly thinking that he knew more football than majority of the managers and wanted to get his hands in all of the pies when really we just needed someone who actually understands football for what it is i think the only thing that kind of baffles me as well is that judging from what other journalists and what other people who know him say about him is that he's, he likes a lot of control he likes to implement his ideas and he likes to you know dip his hands into all the different areas and i think that's a good thing for the club because like i said if you if you're the brains behind how salzburg and leipzig have rose i mean they're both very very prominent clubs on the stage obviously salzburg are not like a world beating club but they've rose through some incredible players obviously harlan's another player but isn't that level of control taken at the clubs you mentioned isn't that because that was the job he was given because he was given the job of restructuring these teams and turning them into european teams rather than national teams if that makes sense and so it's not necessarily he's demanding this level of control it's just that's the level of control that came with the job he had to do i think it's the level of control you need to be a successful football club i think it's important to make that clear because like what joel was saying about his time with the Red Bull stable of clubs you know he took Leipzig from a sort of a second third division Bundesliga side to a team competing for the Champions League places and albeit that was kind of not 100% him but his thread of his work was kind of running through that whole Leipzig project and it's still continuing strong today not just with Leipzig but also with their sister club Salzburg as, as Joel says with the players they brought through and I think that that is the key when it comes to Rangnick I mentioned it earlier on, systems and pressing and being the father of the Gegenpress, you can throw around all these terms and all of these tactical ideas to describe Rangnick, which is brilliant because that is what he does. But you are nothing in a system unless you have the right players to do the job. Now, I'm not saying that in January Rangnick's going to come out and spend 150 million of Manchester United's money on top of the 150 million that they already spent in the summer. But if you don't have the right players to play a certain system, you're going to find it difficult. So I think that is the key. I think Rangnick's even been quoted as saying before that you need to buy the right players. I think at one of the clubs that he managed previously, his policy was not to sign any players over the age of 23 because young players are the best sorts of players you can get out there. Now, you can argue that might not work in the Premier League. We've seen how much experience can be valued in our league, but certainly... He has his own ideas and his own philosophies and he should be allowed to work autonomously. And I think he will because I think he's the sort of guy that wouldn't have been, you know, starstruck by the Manchester United job or Manchester United approaching him. He's 63. He's seen a lot in the game. Now, Manchester United's a huge position and a huge opportunity for him. But I don't think he would have been adverse to saying no to it if it wasn't right for him. And actually, the initial contract offer that United gave Rangnick, he turned down. And then they came back to him a few days later with this sweetened offer of a consultancy role two years later. And that's what's encouraged him to take the deal. So this is a guy who is so true to his values. He has that solid core group of values, which he won't sway from. And I think that that was the clincher. So I think what you'll see here is he will stick by his values at Manchester United because he believes it's what's best for the future of the football club. And I think that that is exactly what Manchester United probably need right now. The aura and the atmosphere was much better after Mourinho left when Solskjaer came in. And Solskjaer built that team spirit and that camaraderie, which now exists within the club, whereas before under Mourinho, it's very toxic and, and very gloomy. That's gone. Solskjaer's come in, restructured, rebuilt. United have a good crop of players. They have a much better team spirit and a much better feel around the place. And now maybe Rangnick's the man to come in and implement those more tactical plans so to speak so I think when it comes to that especially the players thing like what Joel mentions you know you can go through a whole host of names not just managers that he's influenced but also players that he's kind of picked up on and and brought through under his tenure so I think that that's kind of part of the thinking behind this move is that Solskjaer's kind of built up the more atmospheric side of things and Rangnick will now come in and take over and and deliver on a more tactical basis but he's so true to his values and I don't think he would have taken this Manchester United job had he not been given assurances that he would have full autonomy over what his plans are 
Given that you've said, Joel, you're more excited about what happens in six months' time and who comes in and what happens with Ragnick moving upstairs, what does he need to do when he comes into Manchester United for this six-month period? As Niall kind of hints out there, he's not going to have a load of money to spend because Manchester United have spent a lot of money. They will have to spend a lot of money with whoever comes in as the next long-term manager. He's going to have a budget. So it's probably going to be a case of largely working with what he's got. So is it to make sure they get a European place? Is it to change the style of football? What's going to be top of his priority list? Honestly, I'm just just piggybacking off what Niall said. I think the key to this is implementation because I I love a quote that he said in one of the interviews, which was like, how can you just press a little bit? Like pressing a little bit is like getting pregnant a little bit. You either do it or you don't do it. (laughs) And, you know, with Solskjaer at times, it felt like he retreated on his values a little bit. One time he looked like he wanted to be an all-counter-attacking side and then suddenly when the pressure was on, he wanted to go at a three at the back. And it it just seemed like he was confused on his own philosophy himself in terms of just trying to survive rather than thrive a little bit. So I think for me, and I think this is the key part of the decision, is that Rannick aligns very well with Pochettino in terms of what he looks for in a side. Pochettino's teams have always been very, very high pressing, very um, demanding. They all work super hard as we've seen like the the running stats for the Tottenham team. They run like hell. Um, And I think this is the perfect manager to hand the baton over to say Pochettino or to Ten Hag. Um, And I think that the good thing about this is that United have protected themselves in terms of managing the expectation because let's say Randnick goes ahead and wins a Champions League or he goes ahead and wins something major they've already got the plan in place to say regardless you're moving upstairs and we've got a plan to continue this this progress and I think that's the key because with Solskjaer it was all ambiguous they got him in they were like okay do do as well as you can he did really well in the first 10 games it wasn't really part of the plan to keep him on and then suddenly we found ourselves three years down the line still with him um so i think they've learned from the mistakes which is good i would just i'm just very very interested about some of the players that he's going to take over because as niall uh, alluded to you got ronaldo who is not a presser you got anthony martial who's not a presser um and you've got some players in there who are made for it like for example Fred I think he will end up having a transformation under him because he's got bags of energy in midfield same with for example Rashford I think I feel like he can work way harder on the pitch Sancho he's he's known in the Bundesliga with Dortmund who work very hard as well so I think the key for this I don't think he needs to change personnel he needs to just change mentality I've noticed in a few of his interviews where he said, you know, we have like an eight second rule and he got a custom made clock where it ticked. And if, if the eight seconds were up, you would switch. And he said that it's like the psychology changed for the coaches because they knew that they demanded it and it become like a psychological autonomy in, in a way, kind of like uh, Maslow's dogs where when they salivated, when they saw the food, they knew that they needed to change quickly. And for me, those small intricacies I think is what lacked with Solskjaer and his coaching staff. And I think it's going to show big time because Solskjaer was, you know, motivational, very philosophical, whereas Ranić is very detailed. Um, he knows exactly what he wants. He wants intricacy. He wants everyone to know what role they have. And I think for me, that is the absolute core key because when Pochettino eventually comes in, he's going to demand that times 10 as well. Um, so the players need to be prepared for it. And that's why I say... It was the most smart choice to pick someone like that because Valverde or Garcia, I feel like the next manager would have had an even bigger ch- uh, task on their hands trying to convert that mindset that they just created and bring it back around again. Um, so I feel like it's just the perfect addition. And, you know, to manage expectation, everyone's kind of looking at him as like the godfather and, you know, we, we probably won't win the league. We probably won't win the Champions League. I don't think we're going to do absolute miracles this season, but... It's something that's a continuation now and is a plan in place. I don't know the way they're talking about this guy. He's like the Messiah that's just come home. But um, uh, yeah, it's better. The Champions League's weird though, isn't it? Because we mentioned this earlier this week when the Champions League games were on, that Chelsea didn't look like the best team in in the Champions League last season and they won it. And then you go back to that Liverpool 2005 team who weren't 
really that good man for man and they ended up winning it. Chelsea again in 2012 finished sixth in the Premier League that season. They ended up winning the Champions League. So it's all a bit strange a, yeah. when it comes to English teams in it, the Champions League. If you look historically... Yeah, the Champions League it. is a weird competition, isn't it? Because you don't necessarily have to be the best to win it. You just have to kind of have the cards fall in your favour at times. Um, but like I said, I'm kind of I'm waiting a little bit. I don't want to kind of say, you know, we're going to win this, this and this because he's been out of management for a little bit of time now. Um, obviously, he's in a sport and directing kind of role at um, Locomotive Moscow. So I think it's going to be a big transition period at the start. But I think for the players, it's going to be a huge learning curve. Um, one that I think Solskjaer's staff have not been able to give to the players. I think they need it. They need the motivation and the push. Undoubtedly, it's interesting that when you look at the age difference between Solskjaer and Ragnik, how different they are in terms of management. And Solskjaer almost had, for the younger man, has the older approach to football that he expected to be able to pick a team and they sorted it out on the pitch and rely on their natural talents. Whereas Ragnik, I think, is the type of manager who will leave those players within no doubt as to what their roles are on that pitch and what they have to do. 100%. And after what David De Gea said, you know, after the Watford game, we don't know how to defend. We don't know where our positions are. I think that tells it all. And I think Randnick will come in and they'll know exactly how they need to play, exactly when they need to push up, exactly what they need to pass. And that's exactly what this side needs, to be honest. Um, and I think it's going to be a good transition period for Pochettino. Looks like he'll be the next guy to take over. Well, we're expecting that announcement to happen at some point today, probably by the time you listen to this podcast, the new interim manager in place at Manchester United. And you heard it here first, a Football Social Daily exclusive. Manchester United will win the Champions League this season. That is a quote direct from Joel Tudor. I'm pretty sure that's what you said, Joel. I said well. <laughs> no, I don't think so. All uh, right, we're not going to talk about Champions League football next. We're going to talk about the Europa League and the Europa League conference in which Tottenham experienced an embarrassing loss last night. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Europa League and Europa Conference League action last night for a few Premier League teams. We're going to rattle through the results now and we're going to start with the Conference League, which would normally be the bottom of our list, but it's been shoved to the top by virtue of a Tottenham embarrassment. A Spurs being Spursy as they lost 2-1 to the lowest ranked team in European competition this season. How embarrassing was this result for Spurs, Joel? Honestly, I was laughing my head off at Conte's <laughs> press conference. Um, it, it was it was almost like heaven and earth just hit him all in that moment where he realised, oh my God, I have the biggest task on my hands with this squad. Um, I don't think he real. I think on paper before he joined, he, he didn't. He thought he had a better squad than he actually does. Um, as we know, Conte likes to go into clubs which are on the cusp of being able to challenge they're ready to just take that next step whereas I feel like with Tottenham I think they're two three four years away from that um, and I think in that game it, it was embarrassing and I don't think it's due to lack of quality it's just due to lack of motivation and desire to actually go and win a game in the conference league I mean Tottenham last won a trophy I think in 2008 and FC Mora were formed in 2012 I mean, that's that's quite embarrassing for a, a club of uh, Tottenham's stature. And I think, you know, they didn't necessarily play badly. I just think they just more wanted it more than they did. And it was so clear from the off. And that's quite unusual for a Conte team because as we've seen at Juve, as we've seen at Chelsea, regardless of the game, the team is always up for it. And I think Conte's now realising what plays he can count on and what plays he definitely can't count on because we know that Conte will lift tables and chairs up against players who are not on his side and don't buy into his philosophy and his values because he's very, you know, what he needs and what he wants, he's very, very clear on. Um, and I think after this game, we'll see a lot of players slowly kind of cast to the side because he knows exactly which ones are on his side now, I think. Um, and I, in January, I'm pretty sure he's going to have, he's going to be knocking on Daniel Levy's, not knocking, he's going to be kicking down the door and he's going to be demanding exactly what he wants in that <laughs> team. Otherwise, you know, we know what a fallout with Conte um, entails and it's not pretty. 
Uh, but yeah, it was it was embarrassing, and obviously they're four points off the top. They can't finish top. Vitesse a level on points with them. Um, it's not guaranteed they're going to go through. And to be honest, I would not be surprised if they end up getting dumped out. I wonder how bothered they'd be if they did exit the Conference League, to be honest with you. Let me read that quote that Joel just referenced there, Niall. Conte said after the match, I must be honest and tell you that after three and a half weeks, I'm starting to understand the situation. I am happy to stay here, but at the same time, I must be honest and tell you, we need to work a lot to improve the quality of the squad. We are Tottenham, and in this moment, there is an important gap to the top teams. That's a worrying comment, isn't it, from Spurs, for Spurs fans. Not just because Conte's saying, look, you really are terrible, but also he's kind of like hinting that if it doesn't improve, he might not be there for the long term. <laughs> That's basically a very diplomatic way to say, I knew we were bad, but f- Has <laughs> 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 he bitten off more than he can chew here? I don't think that's fair to say. He's only been there three and a half weeks, as he says. Um, and mm. listen, Tottenham have, have been patchy in this Europa Conference League from the very beginning. I mean, do they really want to play in it? It's like those... Do you know what? It felt like one of those FA Cup giant killings when a League Two team or a conference team goes and plays a championship or a Premier League side in the FA Cup, you know, at their own place and it gets a little bit close and then there ends up being an amazing moment at the end and it's a fairy tale story where the plumber from Cleethorpes has gone and won it in the 90th minute against the you know the star-studded Premier League <laughs> side Do you know what I mean it felt a bit like that yesterday and I don't know whether that's because of the nature of the competition that these Tottenham players who only last week were on international duty playing with unbelievable top quality uh, teammates and playing in some of the best stadiums around the world like they are more used to doing and now have to go to Slovenia and play against a team like Mura. And that's no disrespect to Mura, but they're the lowest ranked team in the competition. They're the lowest ranked team in all of UEFA's European competitions this season. So Tottenham to lose to them is embarrassing. And Tottenham have had a number of these embarrassing moments over the years. They've got this reputation of being Spursy. And it would frustrate the life out of me if I was a Tottenham fan. That word Spursy, it's a horrible little moniker that everyone uses to level at Spurs when they're flaky. But the problem is they're flaky all too often. And when it comes to Antonio Conte, I think he knew the task at hand was going to be a difficult one. But Tottenham have got decent enough players They've not got a, a terrible squad by any stretch of the imagination. And even with all the changes that were made last night, they still had Kane on the pitch. They still had to bring on Son and Lucas Moura to try and spark them into life. And then eventually they got their equaliser, you know, after those players came on. And then it was about an hour on the clock, I think, when Harry Kane scored. Good finish, by the way. But you, you're right. Antonio Conte must be thinking, this is going to be a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Because the Premier League even though he only left four years ago, is is different now to what it was. I mean, the Premier League evolves so quickly. I think every two or three years, you see a regeneration. You know, you look at the teams now at the top end of the table, Tottenham are a long way away from that at the moment. And how is Antonio Conce going to really get his side where they need to be? They've got Burnley at the weekend. who are in a good run of form. Burnley recently drew 1-1 with Chelsea. That's the only goal Chelsea have conceded in their last five Premier League games. So Spurs against Burnley isn't going to be, you know, the three-point banker that many people would see it on the betting slips. Burnley are in good form at the moment and Spurs look a little bit shaky. So I do think Antonio Conte still got a lot of learning to do about his team and about his players and about the club as well. Because as Joel says, they haven't won a trophy for a long, long time. I think that makes what Pochettino did even more admirable because Spurs, I think they have delusions of grandeur sometimes where they feel that they should be competing in the title race and they've not won a league title since 1962, I think. The 1960s anyway. They have been in the last few years where they've had a good run under Pochettino where they had a good crop of players who really started to get things clicking and they ended up reaching the Champions League final and they were in a title race a few years ago. I will give them that. I don't want to be too harsh on Spurs because I think they're generally quite a good club, but they just, they're just never a team that wins anything. They're always kind of one of those, a bit like Roma in the Italian league. They're quite a big club, but they're not, 
they're not winners, are they? They're not Juventus or AC Milan or Inter Milan. If you're talking about the best teams in Italy, you put Roma in that list, but you wouldn't put them in the top three. So it's it's one of those where I think that there's maybe a cultural shift that needs to happen at Tottenham, not in terms too much of the style of play, which Conte will do anyway, but in terms of the mentality of the club, um, you know, they've announced recently off the pitch that they've made a fair amount of losses as an impact to the pandemic. So I think there's a few issues to be sorted out at Tottenham and, and maybe that's what Antonio Conte was alluding to, that this is going to take longer than I thought it would. Um, and we know Antonio Conte comes in and usually makes a difference quite quickly, but maybe that's him covering his own back as if to say, give me a bit of time because I might need it here. January's coming you know, fast approaching, players will need to be signed. I'm sure he'll have ideas. Joel's right. He'll be banging on the door of the chairman saying, here's the list of who I need and what I want. Give it to me. Otherwise, we're not going to be up for anything this year. Um, and, and like we also suggest, it's an 18-month contract. So actually, you know, Antonio Conte might not see out 18 months if things continue uh, to go in in a difficult vein so I mean 18 months is quite a short term deal but you know you're right Jim I mean it, it might not even last that long uh, I think again maybe may an issue with the players letting the managers down I mean, Nuno Espirito Santo wasn't that good but Antonio Conte is a significant upgrade and even he isn't able to avoid the inevitable Spurs embarrassment as we saw last night that mentality, I think, is on display, display when you look at it was a much changed team last night and the players who did come in who you'd hope would want to impress the manager didn't really do much to impress or win their place in the long term. Deli Alley looked like he was waltzing about. Doherty came in and didn't really do anything. Cessignon, who hasn't played since August, was sent off on half an hour. Um, you had Davison Sanchez in defence, looked like he couldn't stay on his feet. Really didn't look like the players wanted to claim that potential first team spot, which is in sharp contrast to what is going on at West Ham at the moment. Again, a much-changed team for West Ham. Missing Antonio, missing Fabianski. They managed a 2-0 win at Rapid Vienna. They go top of the group. They retain top of the group. No matter what happens in the last game, they will go through to the next stage of the Europa League as champions. Is it now time, Joel, to say, David Moyes, your redemption is complete? Because we know he's performed in the Premier League at West Ham. Now he's put the European piece of the puzzle together as well. He's been much maligned since he was at Manchester United and Sunderland and Real Sociedad and all these clubs he went to and failed, inverted commas. But now he's starting to look like the real deal again, a manager that knows how to play the game of football. Yeah, to be honest, I don't even think he needed redemption because we all know his situation at United. It, it was set up for any manager at that time to fail and it has been for many years after it, in my opinion. Um, but I was really, really impressed with West Ham yesterday just because I think, firstly, it was a great recovery after losing away to Wolves uh, last weekend, which I'm sure knocked the wind out of the sails a little bit, um, especially since they were already guaranteed to go through as well. And I think that, you know, West Ham right now, obviously they're in a very, very good position in terms of, you know, they're competing on all fronts at the moment. I'm just very, I'm very um, interested to see how they fare when it gets to January, February, because obviously by that time, you, you'll be still competing in the Premier League. You'll have the FA Cup starting. You'll have the last 32 of the Europa League to start. And obviously you've got the quarterfinals of the Capital One, uh, not Capital One Cup, um, the Carabao oh Cup. Oh my God. Wow. That's, that's how old I am. <laughs> I'm only 24. <laughs> the Carling Cup. Um, so yeah, Rumble obviously those. they've got all four fronts to fight on. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going too far back then. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously they've got all four fronts to fight on and even the best of squads, the biggest of squads still struggle to fight on all four fronts. So I'm sure they're going to drop off at some stage. But that's not a bad thing. Like I'm sure any West Ham fan, I'm sure you, Jim, will snatch your hand off if you said, you know, we'll be around fourth place in the Prem in, say, January. We're going to have all three cups still to fight. Uh, all, yeah, all three cups to fight for still. Like, it's a great position to be in. And... You know, even if they have a really good run in one of them, that's an amazing achievement for West Ham, um, considering, you know, three, four years ago, the position that they actually were in, which was kind of around, you know, 15th place at times, and they weren't really pushing forward at all. So I think 
it's a, it is a massive transformation. They're one of the teams that I've really enjoyed watching this season, which I didn't think I would ever say for a David Moyes side, because you know that Everton side were always very horrible to play against. You know, with Fellaini up top and all of these kind of very lanky, hard tackling players. Whereas this West Ham side is very, it's very expansive. It's quite exciting. You don't they can play in different ways and they have very athletic players and. I think it is testament to David Moyes because after that Sociedad job and after the Sunderland job, I thought there's no coming back from him now. I think the United job has truly scarred him. But he's clearly got back to how he usually gets his side. Like, for example, the Everton side, it was such a sustainable side. But this West Ham side is just levels above it, just in terms of individual talent. Um, And I I think for me personally... West Ham will be massively disappointed if they don't go all the way in this competition because they have the tools to do it. Um, they're probably one of the more impressive sides in the competition at the moment. The only worry I would have is that the teams that drop down from the Champions League are the ones that always usually end up winning it. Um, obviously, Sevilla guaranteed are going to end up dropping into it. Then you might have, you know, some, there's some very, very good teams that might end up dropping into it as well, like Leipzig and... Um, way more there's like Benfica so there's still a long long way to go but it's a journey that I'm sure West Ham fans are so excited about because why not can why why not can you go all the way you've got the squad to do it um the quality's there and they clearly when you get to the knockout phases the squad gets more and more up for it as well because these dead rubber games start to disappear then and you start to get into the real business end and that's where it starts to get a bit serious so you know, why not enjoy it? David Moyes has done an amazing job this year, but obviously I, I would guarantee it would start to drop off around that February time. One of the most pleasing things for me as a West Ham fan is the players that I didn't think were quite up to the job potentially aren't part of the first team are actually doing very well in Europe. The likes of Fredericks, the likes of Yarmolenko, who scored last night as well. Diop is the first choice centre-back for European competition. We saw... Perkins come on last night, a young 17-year-old Sonny Perkins, who's from the academy, came on with 30 minutes to go, almost scored a goal as well. So these fringe players kind of getting action and also doing very well, Niall. Can West Ham, even though they have quite a thin squad, can they compete on all fronts? Let's not forget they're still in contention for the quadruple. (laughs) No. No. No, I don't think they can. Obviously, (laughs) through in the Europa League, I wouldn't be surprised if West Ham attack the Europa League they seem to have this vibe with the competition in which that whatever gets thrown in their way and although they've had quite a favorable group in all fairness they've dealt with it with flying colors they've absolutely bossed the group stages and they're now through to the knockouts of course whereas in the Premier League the likelihood of them finishing in the top four even though they're doing really well at the moment is quite slim they've got Manchester City at the weekend now they beat Liverpool two weeks ago but as Joel says they slipped up to Wolves last week and you know, if they can beat Manchester City or get a result out of Manchester City, that really will elevate them as a as a real thorn in the side of those teams competing for the top four, of which West Ham are one. It's almost like they've stolen Leicester City's spotlight as that team that could usurp the top four and crash that top four party. But if you were to ask 100 West Ham fans, and I'll ask you now, Jim, if you want, do you think you're more likely to qualify for the Champions League by winning the Europa League or finishing in the top four? What would you say? I don't think either is particularly likely, but Europa League probably is more likely. Yeah, so that, that's what I mean in terms of the vibe that, that West Ham have got with this competition and the quality that they, they've shown in it, that possibly that's their angle this season. Now, that's not to say take an eye off the Premier League because the Premier League is your bread and butter. But the chances are, come next year, March, February time when the knockout stages are really heating up. We're into the last 16, last 32 in the Europa League case. Uh, And that comes around. Will West Ham still be up and around the top four? We know how many fixtures are coming up between now and Christmas or, or indeed between now and the new year. So, you know, that's a really interesting period in terms of the Premier League. And everyone says how the table looks at Christmas is a good indication of what it might look like at the end of the season. But you never know in, in, in the modern game, particularly in England. So maybe that is something West Ham need to focus on. I think West Ham, you need to strike while the iron's hot. I've said this before on the podcast. I mean, listeners will get sick of me saying it, but I get frustrated at the disrespect shown to certain trophies like the League Cup and the FA Cup. I mean, beggars can't be choosers. I mean, my team are in League One. We've been in the third tier now for five seasons. 
And people always say, would you trade that FA Cup win in 2008 for being uh, back in the Championship or the Premier League? Absolutely not. That was one of the best days of my life as a football fan, particularly as a Pompey fan, watching Sol Campbell lift the FA Cup at Wembley. There's nothing better, especially as a team like Portsmouth who hadn't won a trophy since something like 1939 before that point. So if you're a team like West Ham who don't really regularly win trophies or even go to finals. Like, for instance, like I say, I use Portsmouth as an example again. The last time West Ham went to a cup final was in 2006. Pompey have been to two cup finals, three since then. Four even, sorry. Okay, you can't even remember my own team. And West Ham United are a much bigger club than Portsmouth with a much better team, and they haven't got to finals. So, I mean, I think you need to strike while the iron's hot. I mean, that's why I get angry when managers disrespect the League Cup and the FA Cup as if it doesn't mean anything. Winning trophies means everything to supporters. Those days out are as memorable as any you'll have as a football fan. Now, beating Tottenham in a league game is amazing for West Ham, but I guarantee you that the supporters would much rather see Declan Rice raise a trophy above his his head at Wembley come the end of the season, 100%. So, whilst they are in four competitions still... If, if they pick up a trophy, that, w- that would represent huge success for West Ham, regardless of whether they get knocked out in the last 32, regardless of whether they finished eighth in the end this season. If they can win a League Cup or an FA Cup, then 100% that would be a successful season for David Moyes because he will have done something that no West Ham manager has done for many years. So definitely think that they need to kind of strike while the iron's hot, make use of this momentum and this form. And you use, you know, Sonny Perkins as an example, He's stepped up into this environment, which David Moyes and the players have fostered, that is a real group effort. And that goes a long way. The team spirit, the team effort, the camaraderie. I think that's what's getting West Ham the results at the moment and particularly the performances. So all credit to West Ham and hopefully they can turn this this current surge that they're having into something meaningful uh, when it comes to a day to remember for supporters in years to come. You're right. Beating Spurs is a good feeling, but it's not that difficult anymore. So it doesn't top winning a competition in any way, <laughs> any shape or form. Uh, let's talk finally about Leicester City. 3-1 against Legia Walsall. They started the day bottom of the group. They finished the day top of the group. That's how tight Group C is at the moment. And I guess this one came down, now to players just stepping up that you would expect to step up James Madison being one of those goal and assist for him he's been disappointed this season so we talk about the problems at Leicester City whether Brendan Rodgers has had his head turned by rumours of the Man City job or the Manchester United job does it just come down to actually they need their key players the James Madisons of this world to step up and play to their full potential yeah he's had injuries this season James Madison but we know how good he can be and there's also somewhat of a concern of some of his behaviours off of the pitch in recent times, I think you remember maybe a year ago, he had a, a COVID, well, not a COVID party. That sounds a bit weird. He had a party during the <laughs> COVID situation when it was at its height. So that, that didn't go down too well. And he's a very good player. And in the Europa League, things have been really strange in that group, Group C. So Leicester were bottom of the table going into the game and they knew that a win would send them top. It's really tight between Leicester, Legia, Spartak, Moscow and Napoli in that group. But they got the job done. And like you say, James Madison scoring a goal actually in the reverse game against Legia uh, away from home in Poland where they lost 1-0. James Madison came on with about 20 minutes to go. And although that Leicester couldn't get the equaliser, they lost 1-0. Madison came on and made a real difference, made a real impact. And he was saying that in a post-match interview about his style of play. He he likes to win the ball, high, well not win the ball, he likes to affect the game high up the pitch impact the game in an attacking manner. And that's exactly what he did. The goal he scored was excellent, dragged defenders towards him made a nuisance of himself in the box. Lovely little Cruyff turn, which opened up a bit of space and then powered a left-footed shot beyond the goalkeeper, which uh, was a really good finish in the end. Patson Dacker with his goal last night, that makes him the all-time Leicester City highest European goal scorer because uh, he scored four against Spartak Moscow in a recent game and now he scored one last night, which means his five goals takes him above the likes of Jamie Vardy as Leicester City's highest ever European goal scorer. So... He's been used mainly in European competition as well. So they've got good players, Leicester City. I don't think there's any question that the quality they've got is there. It's just the consistency. And that's something that Brendan Rodgers will have to figure out. And I think you can level this. Is his head being turned by the Manchester City or Manchester United links? Maybe, but the truth of the matter is they've been inconsistent even before those links surfaced, particularly the Manchester United ones. So it's one of those where you can see Leicester City at their best sometimes and that quality there like last night Legia aren't the strongest opponents but 
the Foxes got the job done and they managed to win the game pretty comfortably in the end. And, you know, you look back to the Manchester United game at King Power Stadium, they scored four. And really, they put United to the sword. But also... Who hasn't this season? Yeah, I, I, I see your point, but, you know, Leicester were good on the day. And yet you see them against a side like Chelsea, where we know how good Chelsea are, they're top of the league last weekend. And they looked all at sea in the midfield. They looked completely lost. They looked devoid of ideas, confidence. And yet they go into this game, I know it's a different competition, and they perform really well. So it's, it's a bit Jekyll and Hyde at Leicester at the moment. So that's a problem Brendan Rodgers needs to, needs to resolve. I don't think it's as simple as bringing James Madison in and expecting him to, to smash screamers in every day. But I, I think that it just will be a cause of frustration for Rodgers and for Leicester fans that they do have the quality and they've shown it in flashes this season. They're just not quite as consistent as they have been in recent years. And that might cost them a Champions League place. It probably will do already, just with the strength of the other teams in the league. But they're still well within the shout of finishing in the Europa League spots. They're still well within a shout of going the distance in Europe, I think, as well with the players that they've got. If they can really start to get some consistency together, they should be all right. So still loads of time left to go in the season. I'm sure Leicester will click eventually. But it was good to see them winning again last night against the Legia side in what was important and what was an important game for them when it comes to the group. And they've got Napoli away next, so it'd be tough for them, but they've put themselves in a really good position. Any team in that group can still finish top. And as you say, the last leg of the, or the last game of the Group C is Leicester versus Napoli and Spartak versus Legia Warsaw. So, I mean, it's anyone's guess who will actually finish top of that group and avoid the playoff. It's a playoff, isn't it, for the next... Or is it? does it go to the whoever finishes second gets a Champions League team? I forget how it works now. Yeah, so the cha- So if you, if you finish top of the group in the Europa League this season, you won't be drawn against the Champions League team okay. that drops out. So that's the incentive for finishing top. If you finish second, you won't be guaranteed to be drawn against the Champions League team, but you are more likely to. OK, well, that's the situation for Leicester City going into the final games week of the Europa League. We're going to talk next about transfers. We're creeping closer to January. Let's see what the papers are saying. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back, Football Social Daily. Final bit of today's podcast is all about transfer gossip and the rumours doing the back pages of the papers. Let's start with the Telegraph, who are reporting that Manchester City now want to keep Raheem Sterling. They're trying to tie him down to a long-term contract. That's after a load of rumours linking Sterling with a move away. He made those very public statements about potentially looking for a future away from Manchester City. So what is his future? Joel, like I say, a few months ago we were saying he's going to leave. If Manchester City wants him, is he going to stay? Is that the best option for him? I don't, I don't really see him suiting one of the big Spanish sides like Real Madrid or Barcelona. I feel like he's he's in his element in the Premier League. He's definitely got the quality to be, on his day, one of the best players in the Premier League by an absolute mile. For me, I feel like at times he's way more effective and way, way more of a suitable player in that kind of left position than Grealish at times just because he's just way more direct and just doesn't slow the play down at all um, and that's why I've always said I'm, I'm so surprised that City didn't just go for Harry Kane in the summer just because they need well they, they, I'm sure they'd be way higher up in the table if they had his goals um, but I think for Sterling it's just the case of the, how much competition is at that club at the moment I mean if he was at any other Premier League side I'd say bar maybe Liverpool, he would get into every single one of them. And I guess it's just testament to how competitive, like in every single position in the forward line, City have equal quality in every single area. Obviously, it helps being, you know, bank funded by a state, but their recruitment is pretty incredible as well. I mean, you've got like Bernardo Silva and then you've got Grealish, then you've got Riyad Mahrez, who like, they, have, they have equal quality everywhere. And that's an amazing, amazing position to be in for Guardiola because he knows he can count on every single player on that bench. And their second team is probably as strong as maybe at least 16, 17 of the best teams in the league, probably by an absolute mile. Um, And obviously you've got Phil Foden coming in. So I don't think it's to say that his quality isn't enough at the moment for City because it definitely is. It's just the fact that it's fierce in that side. And if you have a small... 
drought in your form, you don't really have a place to hide because there's another player who is as good as you, if not better, who's going to take your place. And I think that's what Sterling's kind of seen at the moment. It, it already started before the Euros when um, he obviously went into the Euros in the fringes of the City side and played pretty well in the Euros. And then now he's kind of been in the abyss again when he's gone back to the City side. And I think he just wants assurances, to be honest. But in a Guardiola team, I don't think any player gets assurances because he demands so much of them on a weekly basis. Um, and I think for him, it's just the case of he needs to get in the team and just tie it down. Because I've, I've realised in Guardiola's setups, if you can tie down that position and allow him to believe you can do that position, because, you know, like we said with Ralph Randick, Guardiola's a, um, a manager who demands certain specialties from a player in every position and if you don't do it correctly he'll just bring another guy from the bench who's who's going to do it as good um so i think he's in the right place he's only 26 he's still got the main bulk of his career to go and he's not even in his peak yet um and i think city will be missing a trick if they did let him go because he's a great player on his day he just he seems like the player who needs a bit of an arm around him and confidence um he needs a run of games and right now he's He's slowly building that up, and that's obviously just because Grealish and Foden are out the side. But then when they're back, do you play them over him? That's a big question to to ask. I think there's also, in the back of any player's mind who plays at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, is players don't tend to get better when they leave a Pep Guardiola team. It's like you don't see players improving once they've left that coaching, which I think has got to play on a player's mind as well. One of the teams that were linked with Sterling looked like a potential destination was Barcelona, Nile, it seems, according to ESPN, that they are now ruling a move for Sterling out and looking elsewhere. Their attention turning to Ziyech and Werner from Chelsea if they can't get Raheem Sterling. Are they two players that have just failed to impress at Stamford Bridge, particularly with the price tags that were attached to them? I know what you're going to say. You're going to go, players don't ask for the price tags, but it has to be part of the picture. So they haven't really impressed at Stamford Bridge. Does it feel like Tuchel could let them go in order to bring in funds for the rebuild that he probably sees he still needs, even though they are one of the two best teams in England at the moment. I don't think Werner's been a flop. I think that's harsh to say that. And the reason I say that is because although his finishing has been suspect, he's been getting into the right positions on a number of occasions, particularly last season when when it was his first season in England. I think we need to remember Werner's a young man still, and he moved to the UK in a time in which the world had never been like it was and still is to a, to a degree with the pandemic and being in lockdown. And, you know, like I say, he moved to London as, as a lad who'd only ever lived in Germany, who, you know, with no access to the culture, no access to the local environment in terms of getting to know the surroundings of where he lives and settling down can be difficult at the best of times when you come from a foreign country, even without all of those other things thrown in. So I think we need to remember the off-field side of things when we're talking about players and how they've performed, particularly last season, because, you know, arriving in a new country in the middle of a pandemic is never easy, particularly at a young age when you're kind of restricted to only a a few activities and off-field things that you're allowed to do or not do in the case of Premier League footballers these days and due to COVID restrictions that were in place at the time. So I think that needs to be ironed out first and foremost, or at least put on the table. And like I say, in terms of the positions he was getting to, getting into Timo Werner, I think that he was always in the right place, but his finishing was, was questionable. Now, he scored a very good goal, actually, the other day. It was only a tap-in against Juventus, but once more, he was getting in the right positions. He's got bags of pace. He's by far the quickest forward player, him and Callum Hudson-Odoi, at Chelsea in my opinion. So, you know, he's got something Lukaku doesn't have, which is that turn of turn of pace. Now, Lukaku's not slow, but Lukaku almost has that, that physique, whereas Timo Werner has got the wheels to get forward and get into those dangerous positions, particularly on the counter-attack. You're more likely to see Timo Werner there on the end of a counter-attack than you would do Romelu Lukaku, and I think that's just the nature of the way that he plays the game. So, I think Thomas Tuchel being a German manager as well is only going to play into Timo Werner's hands in terms of the benefits that he sees from him. He would have watched him closely, obviously, during his time at Leipzig, which is where he was signed from. He scored loads of goals at Leipzig, by the way, who play in a more counter-attacking style. Now, Chelsea, they do have the option to do that. They play with with wing-backs and, you know, they kind of get those balls into the box and the wing-backs get into very advanced positions and almost get into the penalty area and get shots off and score goals themselves. So maybe that's partly why Timo Werner hasn't been as utilised 
arguably. But I still think he's a good player and I still think there's more to come from him, definitely. So I'm not sure he'll be sold in January or even in the summer, to be fair. But this is Chelsea, you never know. As for Hakim Ziyech, hasn't really happened for him, has it? He's shown flashes again, but certainly if I was to pick one out of the two, I'd be picking Werner. Uh, Ziyech is very good at Ajax. He's had injuries, in all fairness to him. I don't think he's a poor player. I think he's a good option to have, definitely. Um, But can you upgrade Hakim Ziyech? Probably you could. So, yeah, I think that it's one of those where Barcelona, I think, it could well use either of those players um, to great effect because they're good players. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they've been rubbish because I don't think that's fair. So, yeah, I think it's a tough question, that one. I, I find it difficult to see why Chelsea would sell Timo Werner, but I understand it slightly more with Ziyech. But yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's hard to know what Barcelona or Real Madrid are even ever going to do in the transfer market, even when the finances are good and everything's going well. Sometimes you see a few left field signings so yeah we'll have to wait and see on that one but as for those two players I think we'll see them in the Premier League for a little bit still interesting to see that they are linked with Barcelona it means their stock is still relatively high one of the teams we are fully expecting to be very active in January and the summer is Newcastle United two transfers they are being linked with one in the summer that I'll come on to shortly which is a name that will no doubt have Newcastle United fans salivating but the other one is a January transfer and apparently they're looking at Zinchenko from Manchester City I mean I've always really liked Zinchenko Joel and I think Manchester City fans tend to like him as well so can you see City potentially letting him go no um it's funny with Zinchenko because I remember I think it was maybe in 2019 in the summer of 2019 I think when Wolves were just about to sign him on deadline day for around 12 million and then I think he himself blocked the move and he's suddenly become, obviously, since Ben Mendy's been kind of out of the side for a long time with his legal proceedings, um, he's really cemented that position down, which I don't think many expected. Because obviously, prior to that, when Mendy was in the side, he was the more favoured left back. But then he had a lot of injury problems. And I think he's a player that Guardiola trusts. A lot of problems. Yeah, yeah a lot. Um, Guardiola trusts him a lot. And... I think his improvement's been amazing under Guardiola. I think it's purely testament to his coaching, of course, because when he actually first joined, he looked a little bit out of his depth. Um, and, you know, City don't really have a massive amount of choice in terms of fullbacks. Obviously, you've got Cancelo and Walker, who are the kind of main candidates, but I mean, they need a big squad for the games that they have every single season. Um, and I don't think Guardiola's going to want to let go of a left-back who he's coached for a good number of years now, who knows his system very, very well. Um, Rab will say in that, though, he does like to go into the to the market for a 50 million left-back every now and then. So, you know, maybe he will go and do that. But I think it, it's the smart deci- it would be a smart signing from Newcastle's part. Don't get me wrong. I think that's they're the kind of signings that Newcastle need I've never been a believer of you know when you've had a financial takeover you should go and get you know Coutinho for 50 million and then go and get all these players and kind of build this kind of super team because usually it doesn't work Um, they need to be smart with the recruitment I don't think they need a statement signing so to say I think the statement's already been made and that's the fact that they have money they have a big big backing behind them now um, and I think that the recruitment is everything. And I think Eddie Howe would be against kind of making these ridiculously, you know, outlandish signings of all these mercenaries who don't truly want to be there. They need to want to be there and buy into the project for a long time. Um, and, you know, if a player looks at the table and he sees Newcastle at the bottom of the league with zero wins, it's not going to be a fairly attractive place initially. Of course, the money will talk, but Newcastle need to be smart with it. And I think they need to have signings where they can build a team rather than a team of individuals, um, which I think will stand them in good stead going forward because Eddie Howe, I don't think he'd stand for that kind of signings anyway because his recruitment's usually spot on. I think for Manchester City as well, Zinchenko is just one of those really useful players. We talked about earlier in the week in Europe, he's playing as a false nine, he plays as a left back. He's just one of those players that's useful to have in the squad to fill those gaps. I mean, you're talking there, Joel, about statement signings. The big statement signing is likely to come this summer, according to the Express, as Newcastle United prepare a move for Kylian Mbappe, Niall. What? Is it happening? Is it on? Is Mbappe going to be playing his football at St. James's Park? 
No, he's not. It's quite obvious he's not going to go to Newcastle. Why not? Well, he might do in 10 years, but probably not now. Yeah, he'll do in a pre-season game with Madrid next year. (laughs) Well, Newcastle United, as Joel says, are bottom of the Premier League with zero wins. They have a six-pointer against Norwich next weekend. They've got Arsenal this weekend. They could be in the championship next season. Now, it's an exciting time to be involved with Newcastle United. Eddie Howe's gone in there and they performed much better against Brentford last weekend. We still don't know whether Eddie Howe's going to be on the touchline for this game against Arsenal, by the way, because he's still isolating from coronavirus and he still needs to return a, a negative test. So we still don't know if that's going to be the case. I'm sure we'll find out more in the in the coming hours. But at the time of recording the show, we don't know whether he's going to be involved. And... Like I say, as good as Eddie Howe could potentially be for Newcastle and as big as the project could potentially be and how exciting things are at St. James's Park, that's not enough for someone of Kylian Mbappe's stature to join Newcastle. It just isn't. And as much as I respect Newcastle as a club and as a city and sort of the difficulties they faced under Mike Ashley in the last 14 or so years, they're not in a position in which... Kylian Mbappe is going to join their club. Maybe they might be in five years if they're in the Champions League and they're top of the Premier League. But it's not going to happen, really, is it? Let's be honest. I mean, this is just typical speculation. This is random name generator. Pick one of the biggest names in world football. Link them with the richest club in world football. It's just not going to happen. Plus, I don't think the Qataris, who own PSG, will sell one of their prized assets to the Saudis. It's just not going to happen. There are so many issues with this deal that just don't make sense i don't know which where this has come from what 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 um source it's does come, it come it's, from? it's come from the fact that newcastle united have a load of money and killing mbappe is one of the world's most expensive players that's where it's come from it's being reported by the express though oh fair enough i was going to say it's not come from the sunday sport or anything like that where you get articles about a man having a down a chimney or something like that no, that, that would mean? be that the story there would be Eddie Howe has inserted beans up his bum or something like that. <laughs> that would be what the Sunday, that would, what the it sport would. would be publishing. It would, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, there's no chance this is happening for all the me- for all the reasons I've just said. It's just not going to happen. Um, and if you're Mbappe, why would you join Newcastle? Money at the moment. They could be, like I say, they could be in the yeah, but what's the point? They could be in the Championship next season. So it's just one of those. It's absolute nonsense. It's nonsense, that one for me. I don't want to speak any more about it, to be honest, because it's just frustrating. And I think Marley would say the same, in all fairness. You know, Marley being a Newcastle fan, the resident Toon supporter on the podcast, I think he'll probably laugh at it. There's no reason why Newcastle shouldn't be linked because of the money they've got. But again, with the Qataris selling one of their prized assets players to the Saudis, don't think it's going to happen. Newcastle haven't won a game yet this season. It could still be relegated. And... He's not going to join a championship team, is he, no matter how rich they are. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on on the situation. I think it's a load of nonsense, to be honest. But in the future, possibly. But in the next two years, I doubt it. I think we could see some big names rocking up at Newcastle, purely by the virtue of the amount of money they have. We know what happened in China when they suddenly had money to throw about the players that went out there. Huge status players going to the Chinese league. There's no reason we couldn't see. And I'm not saying... It's not the same, though, is it? it? Like, when City came into money... It's, it's different now to when it was then. Like Robinho was one of the biggest players in the world when he joined Manchester City, signed from Real Madrid, and he was okay for two years, and then he he nosedived. I can't see that happening with Kylian Mbappe. I think no. Mbappe is a bigger player now than Robinho was back then, and even it was a shock back then. But the game's moved on since then. Yeah, and it's players I, I of an age as well. Fanciful signings are unlikely. Yeah, for sure. And there's obviously more restrictions on the amount of money that a football team can play pay in transfer fees and wages now as well than there was in the Rubinho days and certainly that would have impacted the uh, the moves that were made in the Chinese Super League but that is it for today's football social daily we are done the dugout which is out later today will give you a full preview of all those Premier League matches including what I think is the highlight Manchester United's trip to Chelsea I heard a brilliant stat the other day that Manchester United conceded more goals in the first half against Liverpool than Chelsea have conceded so far this season in the Premier League which kind of gives you a bit of an indication of where that game might go that'll be previewed on the dugout who is on the dugout today Noah? Uh, We've got former Leicester, Brighton and Southampton man Dean Hammond who 
actually shares a couple of experiences of what a preseason is like under Claudio Ranieri, which is worth tuning in for. Dilly ding, dilly dong. And we've also got former <laughs> Everton and Burnley man Trevor Stephen, uh, who's always great value on the podcast, really clued up as well and gives his thoughts on the situations going on at Everton at the moment. Not great form for the Toffees and Rafa Benitez, so it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say as well. Lovely stuff. Make sure you've hit follow on this podcast so you get that as soon as it drops. It'll be out in a few hours' time, but it's time we were dilly ding, dilly gone. That is it for Football Social Daily. <laughs> you like that? That's it for Football Social Daily. Cheers, Niall. Cheers, Joel. Thanks, boys. Cheers, guys. Have a great weekend. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.